the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers, and I'm really excited about today's show. Um, I get to spend a few moments with a friend of mine and, and we get a chance to catch up, but we also get to frame it in a very important sort of topic of discussion. Um, I would like to start this off with, uh, ever since I started this podcast series, I was thinking about Tim because I was uh, able to stay in touch with him via Facebook and saw all of the wonderful work that he was doing regarding climate change and uh, very proud of you know knowing him and knowing that there's a fighter in the in you know in in the in the game yet at the same time I was thinking as I'm dealing with racism as a topic and all along it was I, I felt like there was some sort of connection between the two of these things and yet I had not heard of any you know on on any of the major networks or any particular coverage when the topic of climate change came up I never heard any particular association as it related to racism and something in my gut said I believe that these would have to be connected somewhere and so uh, I managed to to reach out to Tim just yesterday. I sent him a text message and uh, and I said, hey, I've been thinking about this. I've got this podcast. I've been thinking about, uh, you know, the climate change issue. And I'm wondering, I've been to covering racism. Is there a connection between these things? And he shot back a, a text pretty quickly and said, oh, yeah, there is. And um, so I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that we could come together and uh, short notice Tim was up in Canada uh, doing some work. Uh, I would imagine a series or movie. What, what uh, We'll get into that in just a moment and sort of find out what he was doing. But he was he was driving back and we had a conversation and decided to slide this right on in. So I'm grateful that he's here with us today. Uh, many of you know Tim as a fine actor, um, and he has done tons and tons of work, over 200 uh, television shows and, and plenty of movies. We even had the occasion to work together back in the day on a film uh, called American Blue Note. So check that out. Um, but nonetheless, um, I'm grateful that he's here today, and I don't want to to waste much more time. Um, I will grab his bio in a minute, but so I want to start this conversation off first. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Glad to be here, man. So nice to see your face. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. And uh, so um, I want to start with that, that same sort of premise that I set this up with, which was climate change, racism in America, uh, are these things connected and how they are how are they connected yeah they are so deeply 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 connected you know there's um 
there's a whole thing called environmental justice or environmental injustice and a slightly separate category of environmental racism. Um, and it all, of course, feeds into the climate crisis. But as we were talking about yesterday, in my opinion, uh, environmental uh, injustice is sort of a stool with three kind of major legs. Um, the, the first is um, the conscious sighting uh, of toxic polluting facilities uh, in low income communities and communities of color. Uh, it was, I, I would say, kind of academically first quantified uh, by a guy named Robert Bullard, Dr. Uh, Bob Bullard in Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. um, who everybody thinks of as sort of the, the father of the environmental justice movement, um, who started noticing that uh, dumps were always put in communities of color over and over and over. And we, we see this, uh, you know, this is a consistent thing. And we could talk about why that is. Uh, but, but that's, but just as a quick overview. So that's one uh, number two is um, is bad uh, infrastructure into low-income communities and communities of color. So, for example, we all know about uh, Flint, Michigan, um, uh, where you know extraordinary lead levels in the drinking water. Um, but there are actually three thousand eight hundred and ten municipalities with worse uh, lead levels than Flint. Most of those are in communities of color and low-income communities. Uh, the, the last sort of leg that I would kind of put into it is uh -huh. uh, inconsistent emergency services. So, for example, when, speaking of climate change, when Hurricane Sandy hit New York, a 13-foot storm surge came up the East River, flooding Wall Street and the Lower East Side. And there was a lot of complaints that uh, the Lower East Side did not get emergency services nearly as quickly as Wall Street did. And if you go even further into the far Rockaways, they didn't get it at all. And we see this over and over uh, with certainly Hurricane Katrina. I think we could look at uh, you know the hurricanes in, in Puerto Rico and you know um, where the president threw paper towels uh, to, to folks. Um, so those are the three kind of big components, I, I would say, around environmental uh, justice. Wow. So, so yeah, th there's quite a connection. And uh, so in what, in what ways does, you know, uh, climate change really affect people of color? I, I heard what you just said, and I, I guess I'm trying to squeeze in a little bit more information as it relates to the, the health outcomes and the sure. position oftentimes of uh, people of color and black people that, uh, you know, have tremendous health problems. And so I'm, I'm just trying to connect that. Right. So, so for example, if you look at um, uh, the 10 counties in the United States, uh, that are most vulnerable to disasters. 81% um, of the people in those counties are people of color. Um, now, uh, Superfund sites, about 60% of the Superfund sites in America also are located in 
uh, areas that are flood uh, prone, uh, that are in difficulty in storm surges, uh, that kind of thing. So you, right there, you have a problem. You have a big problem. You know, if, if you're a corporation and you're gonna build a toxic polluting facility, you frequently may go to a low income community and, and by proxy, we can extend that because of economic disparity in the United States to communities of color. You may move into one of those areas because the perception, and it's not a wrong perception on a corporate side, is that those communities do not have the financial wherewithal to protect themselves uh, with uh, lawyers and things from these plants getting jammed into those communities. And, um, you know, there, there's an environmental research paper in 2016 did a study looking back over 30 years and mm -hmm. found a consistent pattern of putting hazardous waste facilities, toxic facilities into communities of color and, and low income communities. And so what that means now, today, well, okay, so the Lancet, which is one of the two great medical journals, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine being the other, um, the Lancet says 9 million people die worldwide from air pollution every single year. And not to compare, uh, but just so we remember, uh, there were 12 million people uh, sent to the death camps in Germany in the Second World War. And we are okay with 9 million people dying every year from air pollution. In communities which are fence line adjacent to these facilities, you see higher rates of respiratory problems, of cardiac issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. when, you, when you think about George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, there is another uh, resonance uh, with what he's saying in these environmental justice communities. People literally can't breathe and it is insidious. And it's another whole thing that we participate in, uh, all of us uh, to some degree, and yet it, it goes um, really, really unseen. Um, and when you combine that, uh, you know, something like 40% of counties in the United States don't meet EPA air quality standards. Um, and a huge amount of, uh, much further than that, of people of color live in those communities uh, that are adjacent. So then it makes sense. I'll tell you that uh, to me, the most shocking statistic around the COVID problem we're facing. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you take people where you've already got serious health issues uh, and you add COVID in, you have a problem. So when we see the disparity, you know, uh, uh, black people between, black men rather, between 35 and 44, 10 times as likely to die of COVID than white people. Mm. 10 times wow. as likely. Now, that has to do with a range of issues, uh, which include uh, physician deserts, which include um, uh, nutrition deserts, places where you're not able to get, you know, good, clean groceries and things. Mm -hmm. um, but it also has to do with the fact that you're breathing poison, you know. 
Um, And you're already compromised and then you've got COVID laying in on top. So we could conclude that that basically people of color and living in these areas, all of them have, whether it's been identified or not, pre-existing conditions. You you know what I mean? A pre-existing condition, meaning just the the predisposition of all that you were just talking about that makes them more susceptible to to um, death. Right. I mean, I mean, you're very right. serious. The, the, the percentage of U.S. African. The, the percentage of U.S. African-American children with asthma is nearly twice that of white children. So when you talk about a country where, you know, one of our basic concepts is we're all created equal. And it's sexist because it says all men are created equal. But, right, right. Can, you know, <laughs> with all kinds of problems. But what does equality begin? Does equality begin? See, I would say it also begins with education. So we need educational standards across the board. But it doesn't begin with human health. Because if you're starting out as more likely to have asthma, more likely in a society particularly where uh, medicine is not taken care of across the board, where Mm -hmm. we don't all have equal access, what possible uh, fantasy uh, you must have going to, to think we are uh, living in equality in this country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's amazing, man. Um, I am, uh, I want to take just a minute here and I want to run this bio because I know Tim is a, a very fine actor. And again, I've familiarized myself with him and his work in, uh, climate change and environmental work, but I want to share his bio at this point um, as it relates to his work in climate change. In 2020, Tim was awarded the prestigious Alfredo Circus, um, I hope it's our Circus, Memorial Green Ring Award by former Vice President Al Gore. He has, he has given presentations on the climate crisis all over the United States as well as Canada and North Africa. He enjoys giving talks to oppositional and underserved audiences, including such diverse groups as conservative fire departments, Houston oil industry executives, and maximum security inmates. He is the founder of Climate Actors and serves on the leadership council of Riverkeeper, the board of the Ashokan Center, New York's oldest center for environmental education, and the board of Green Product Placement, He is the official climate change liaison for the town of Marbletown with the climate mayors and is the co-chair with the fabulous Alice Quinn of the Climate Reality Project, Hudson Valley, Catskills, New York chapter. As an actor, he has appeared in over 200 movies and episodes of television. Tim, it is a joy having you here Right now, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires right here on the Inspired Choices Network. And we are talking today with Tim Guinea about climate change and racism in America. We'll be right back in just one moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires, 
as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back and we're having a conversation today about climate change and racism in America with my guest, Mr. Tim Guinea. Uh, Tim, I want to back up just a second and try to uh, do a little little uh, primary education. And the only reason I say that is because I don't believe that many people in the uh, black community and and many of the, uh, you know, other people of color in in many of these communities, I don't know because they don't seem to be present oftentimes or in the conversation as far as climate change in America. There seems to be perhaps uh, an exclusion, you know, because climate change is for white people, right? I mean, upper middle class white people. I mean, that that's that's what that's about. So what I want to do is just I want to ask you to address sort of definitions so we can get a, a framework because we, we throw one language and we have to make the assumption that someone else is getting this, but I want to make sure that we're getting it. So climate change, global warming, environmentalism. And so if you could take each one of those and just sort of frame those out and then frame out how they are interconnected. Yeah. Um, so, and then we have to get back to, to uh, climate change is a thing for upper middle-class white people. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's like you put some dynamite in the room and then said, please enjoy the cheese. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
Yeah. So climate change, global warming are, are sort of the same things. You know, they I, I think that there was a sense at one point that, well, you know, there were a lot of people who did these crazy things. To, uh, Senator Inhofe from Oklahoma famously uh, carried a snowball into the Senate and uh, on a cold winter day in D.C. and said, I don't know what they're talking about with global warming. It looks pretty cold out there to me and held up the snowball. Not recognizing that climate change, global warming are about uh, global averages, a change in average temperatures globally. Um, and what he was discussing is weather, which is you know what's happening in South Philly this afternoon or what's happening in North Los Angeles. So uh, there was a semantic issue you know, to my mind, climate change and global warming both have an issue, which is they both sound okay. They both sound pretty good, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of think we need something like weather cancer or, you know, right. I don't know what it is, but, yeah, but there's, yeah. there's a real semantic issue. And then environmentalism as a whole, of course, is concerned with water pollution and plastics and and, and there's an inner relationship, of course, with all of this stuff, you know, uh, climate change, uh, anthropocentric climate, human caused climate change is primarily because of the burning of fossil fuels. Uh, but there are other things that, uh, that causes uh, gases to be trapped, uh, that puts gases in the atmosphere that causes heat to be trapped uh, in, in our atmosphere. Um, so that goes right into, uh, of course, air pollution. Uh, and, you know, there, there's all kinds of intersectionality that way. So okay. does that help? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted somebody to break that down because a lot of times my perception is, is that they're used sort of interchangeably. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, they're not interchangeable, but they're really closely related. And the truth of the matter is that as uh, we see a rapidly degrading situation with climate change, um, we you also have to recognize that in order to survive it, it's important that natural systems be kept as robust as possible. That uh, that it's you know to 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 survive we're going to need clean water and clean we're going to need as much of that as we can have um to get through what's coming at us mm -hmm. okay well that helps that helps give me some clarity and hopefully it will help clarify for others um we'll get back to that that um you're just gonna leave the dynamite in the room. <laughs> you know, I want to put that in the last Come round. Over here and have a beer now. Right. That you've All right, go ahead. <laughs> so, so actually, actually, let's let's go ahead and jump in that because yeah, because it does feel like that. And again, uh, it, it's not something that I have studied uh, myself deeply but i know it's something significant and i and i just feel like the conversations go on and uh you know that wasn't a class i took in school it, we didn't hit that so this yeah. is all stuff that no one has taken the time to say hey this is how this may affect you this may you know other than very broad statements and again it's all white people talking about it so i'm going you know i don't know whether or not you know that's something i should take seriously or not i mean quite frankly uh -huh. Yeah, um, yeah. 
because of just that disconnect and and how I, I don't see much. Um, well, anyway, let me let me stay with this. So in America, the subject of climate change and environmentalism seem to be topics that middle and upper class white people are concerned about. And why is that? Why is right. it that way? I guess would be a better way yeah. to turn that around. So, so there's a couple of things. It's really interesting. And actually, the National Academy of Sciences did a study that said exactly what you've just said. The perception of environmentalism is that it is a concern not just of white people, but of higher income white people. And that perception is equally held by white people and by people of color. Um, there was also a 2000, I want to say 15 study out of the University of Illinois uh, that showed conclusively that's not true. <laughs> that um, in fact, uh, people of color, particularly Latino people and, and black folks care more than white people do. Uh, there are significant studies that show particularly around the climate crisis, that's true. Mm -hmm. So where is that perception coming from? Um, part of it is has to do with the fact that white people tend to give money to big national environmental organizations. Uh, the Sierra Club, NRDC, National Wildlife Federation. Uh, people of color tend to be involved with local community organizations, which may be fighting for clean air in their town or getting the bus depot moved or, or, or better water facilities or whatever that is. And those thousands of tiny little organizations are much harder to quantify than the large, it's easy to call the Sierra Club and say, tell me how many donors you have, tell me. It's not as easy to find out about every little, you know, tiny community organization. Yeah. I think there's a, been a problem to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just running on, but. No, it's the, good, man, it's good. See how white people are, we just talk and talk. You know. Uh, <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> Thing. It seems I've gotten used to it, so I'll just sit here till you're done. I'm Bob. sorry, <laughs> but I but I will mention too uh, a couple problems with uh, environmental groups. One um, that there is a you know if you are living in a, a community that is degraded through pollution, through toxic facilities around you, you don't have clean water and you hear a white person saying they're giving money to protect the Norwegian spotted elk monkey, uh, that can be uh, pretty distressing. Right, right. Because what that person is saying is, I care more about the, you know, the, the, the Antarctic wombat than, than I do about you living in the ghetto, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's hard. And and that is also uh, that is also my wife just tried to commit. Uh, <laughs> that is also true. The other thing I would say is that national environmental organizations um, uh, tend to have white people running them, um, and tend to have white men running them, and that has gotten better. Um, you know. I'll say the Climate Reality Project, which I'm part of, I'm very proud of the fact that um, there are folks who've been involved on the board of that and helping run that organization and diversity has been a thing. And, and there are other 
national organizations that it seemed to take George Floyd to realize they needed to start diversifying. And then they, they, right. they rushed to diversify. And that's a good thing. As tragic as, as, as the, their realization is and as late as that may be, um, but that has been a historic problem with the national environmental groups. Mm. And yeah. also, oh, wait a minute, because I'm white, so I'm, I'm just going to keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel all stereotypes. I also want to say just that the fact is there are extraordinary voices, uh, people of color voices going on. And if you're not hearing them, you're just not listening to the right places. And part of it is those voices need more amplification uh, to get out there. But, oh, my God, the people, the people who are talking right now, uh, yeah. if you're not hearing it, you're just missing it. Yeah. And I mean, that was that was one of the other sort of observations. It was like, you know, where, you know, it's like, what's the deal with the casting here? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, I mean, is there any, you know, any black people in the house? Um, so the fact that there are. Um, some, you know, black folks that are out there and, you know, that are speaking that that's a good thing. And maybe you can sort of steer, steer this audience here when we get back from this break coming up, you know, and just sort of, because that's one of the questions. And I want you to think about that during the break, which is uh, to the audience, uh, what are the suggestions and how can black people engage uh on these topics uh in, in their local communities or what have you because um again it's just outside of my field of vision but i would imagine again since we you know everything we see and here it's you know a bunch of white guys talking over everybody else <laughs> but you know what i mean it's so i don't think that it's it, it doesn't get it doesn't get the FaceTime. It, do, it doesn't get the FaceTime. So therefore, it appears that it's not present. So you know that it is present. And so maybe you can assist in in steering folks in the right direction so that they can connect those dots. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty important. So, okay, we're going to take another break. We are here with my brother, Tim Guinea, uh, and we're talking about climate change and racism in America. And we will be right back in just a minute. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to... 
Bill Myers Inspires, here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires with my special guest today, Tim Guinea. Um, so it, I just got a cue that there might be a question um, from a caller to to ask at this time. So, Keisha, if you have that lined up, that would be great. Oh, okay. Well. Let me know what that is and when that happens, and we will just continue on. But I am open to that. I think that would be great. So, uh, so Tim, we were talking about uh, the 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 idea of uh, this being a, a, um, an upper middle white people sort of the perception of this, and you just informed me that there are some pretty significant uh, and dynamic black leaders and organizations that are sprinkled about. Okay. Would that be an accurate assessment? I don't want to by any means diminish the hard work that these individuals and their commitment, but is that. I don't know if they're sprinkled. They're around. Uh, The the problem is it's such a funny thing. You know, there is a frequent perception of, uh, if I'm a lower income person, uh, you know, I have bigger problems than the environment. I, if I'm trying to put food on the table, if I'm, try, if I'm struggling to do that, if I'm struggling, you know, to deal with rent, uh, if I have crime issues where I'm living, uh, that is a frequent trope that people say, I can't think about the environment. And yet, again, as we just talked about, Statistically, uh, lower-income people, uh, people of color, care more about the environment. <laughs> so uh, that's just not true. And there are these voices. You know, the very first person to talk about uh, about global warming uh, was uh, a woman named Eunice Foote in the 1850s. And if you look, her name is starting to bubble to the surface now, but it has all been European white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and she, she's, she's an Anglo woman, but they weren't giving this woman any credit. So there are unbelievable voices. Dr. Robert Bullard, I mentioned, uh, Catherine Coleman Flowers. I, I just grabbed books out of my thing. Catherine Coleman Flowers is on Biden's uh, climate change transition team. Uh, she has a new book called Waste, One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. Um, she's a lion in this. Uh, there's a, a woman uh, named Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who's a great environmental scientist up here. Uh, the Hip Hop Caucus, uh, Think 100 radio program they run, which is uh, Reverend Yearwood and uh, Mustafa Santiago Ali, who's another phenomenal voice. Um, uh, anyhow, it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And, and frequently, y- you may need to look in your area and Google 
uh, you're in Indiana, the Hoosier Environmental Council does work on uh, environmental racism. Um, you know, there are powerful, uh, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade, extraordinary mm -hmm. work. We act on environmental justice in New York. Um, they're, they're, this is all over the place. And it's, it's also, you know, as we have Greta Thunberg, um, we also have Jamie Margolin, 15 year old woman of color, um, who uh, started the largest youth, people of color climate led environmental march in history in 23 cities simultaneously around the world two years ago. Wow. So, we don't hear the names, you know? Yeah. The, the, what's the deal with the coverage? <laughs> yeah, right. We don't. Why are we not hearing about that? I, I want to go just for a second and grab this question that or this yeah. statement that was made. And this is from Sandra or Sandy. Uh, and it says our not profit, our nonprofit organizations need to become multi-use oriented. Diversifying is a good thing. But is there a term for it that would help us identify what that looks like? Can we invent one? In other words, uh, we can just pick one issue to focus on and we have to blend them all into a vision of a more just, equitable, healthy world for everyone. Your thoughts? You know, I, I think there's some real wisdom in what she's saying, you know, Hey, look, it's crazy that white boy here is on here talking about this, but you asked me to, and so I, I am on, on, a, on a level, I shouldn't be the guy you're talking to. On another level, as white guy, um, I, I, I also recognize uh, uh, nobody necessarily wants to hear middle-aged white guy's opinion, but that doesn't mean I can abdicate my responsibility. And I'm afraid that that is one of the things white guys now are doing is going, well, you don't want to hear from me. I'm not going to be involved. Um, but I'm sorry to get back to her question. You know, the thing also is, uh, and I had hinted to you about wanting to talk about this yesterday, that if we're to solve the climate crisis, which I consider the biggest threat to mankind that there is, uh, it isn't just an issue of fairness of uplifting, uh, you know, black, brown voices, gay, right. trans, women, it, poor folks. It isn't just fairness. It's we need to democratize it because we need the very best ideas. We need the very best energy. We need the smartest minds. And we are denying ourselves that possibility if we limit this thing at all. So in order for there to be success, in terms of dealing with our environmental crises, with the environmental with the climate crises, we've mm -hmm. got to democratize the system. So um, and democratize the movement. And and so I I agree with your with your caller there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. That's great. I don't know about the language. I think she's very smart, and I I, I hope she comes up with that because I don't have the word. Well, we'll we'll invite her to come up with it, and I will forward it right on to you. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, so yeah. So, are there? So, you you mentioned it as a result of George Floyd, but I kind of want to make sure and 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 hit that again because my question was: Is there black representation in these environmental institutions, and is that 
is that indeed new because of the you know what i mean uh the george yeah. thing i mean it's, it's a new thing hey we got now people in here you know as a result well, I, of that or has that been um a constant yeah i mean come on <laughs> i i think it's i think it's across american society i think you're suddenly seeing black faces in boardrooms where they weren't didn't exist before george floyd you know i i mean i just think that's horrible and true and if there's something good that comes out of george floyd and and that's part of it let that be um and uh where is it real and where is it tokenism it are really real questions and and you know as i mentioned you know with the climate reality project for example robert bullard who's the the uh father of environmental justice is on the board captain coleman flowers is on the board Reverend Barber's son uh, has a key position there. Um, they, and you know what, they, every organization has miles to go before we sleep, but, um, but they've done a good job and there are other ones that have as well. And I would say, frankly, are there some that are just catching on? Yeah, you bet. And are there some that are reacting suddenly because it's, um, there's a national cry for this. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know. Well, just to just to clarify, I mean, with, with all of the the George Floyd uh, thing, I, I I can distinctly remember at least two or three waves of conscious wake up sort of things that happened that flexed. I mean, even going back to you know uh, when uh, you know all the uh, you know, uh, uh, arts uh, organizations, you know, equity and SAG and all that sort of stuff in the late eighties, it was like, okay, we need to do, and it was all diversified casting. So, I mean, we've had waves of this awareness and sometimes it lasts or it didn't mean I was going to put you in the producer capacity. So, you know what I mean? So we, we, you know what I'm saying? So there've been more waves of that. And so maybe the most significant that we can point at and certainly the most recent is the George Floyd. But again, if we're not careful, these things wind up having like a very short shelf life and it starts to recede back to what its original intention was, which was never to have you know people of color included and women as well into that mix. Um, and I think there's clear evidence that, you know, the, 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 the fundamental of the country, I mean, you know, the, who are the guys on top? And you look at the, um, you know, whether it be the constitution or whatever, it's, it's sort of playing itself out the, exactly the way it was originally planned. I mean, you know, when you look at the wealth gap and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so, I mean, again, I, I just push on that, not pushing back at you, but just to, to cite the fact that there are these little spurts where perception is progress and it's only progress if it continues, you know what I mean? Otherwise it just becomes this, this like a token response type thing. And it, then it goes back and then it's like, you know, it becomes marginalized all over again. And so anyway, I, anyway, that's not my. But I will also say to push back just slightly on that, or sure. maybe a better thing is to say, yes. And let me add another spice to our soup of consideration. Sure. I don't think 20 years ago in my wildest dreams, I could have seen gay marriage being the law of the land. I cannot think I could have imagined that. So sometimes 
movement is happening and we're not even aware of how much movement we've made. And I pray that's the case. I yeah. pray that we're starting to move. But, you know, as you said, you know, George Floyd isn't new. It's just that people have cell phones with cameras on them that, yeah. that's new. Absolutely. There's a lot of George Floyds. I mean, actually, a, a schoolmate of mine. Uh, I mean, kindergarten, you know, first grade. I mean, we, you know, I mean, it was the, I mean, he was my buddy and all that sort of thing. I mean, freshman year high school, we had disconnected during junior high, freshman year high school. I see him in orientation. I'm glad to reconnect with him because he was living with uh, like a grandmother or something and someone passed away and so he relocated. But, uh, you know, I saw him one day and it's like, hey, let's get together, let's talk. And uh, the next day he was, I knew that he was upset because of where he was living, um, you know, uh, with a, like a cousin or something like that. But anyway, the next day, big story uh, drops in the newspaper, front page news, all this young black teenager shot and killed unarmed uh, a, a liquor store robbery attempt and it was my buddy so i mean that's 1980 <laughs> so my familiarity with a george floyd story that was the first time i served as a pallbearer yeah you know what i mean so that that's like uh something that i'm i'm very much aware of and and that's that's just my own personal testimony and certainly not at all um, to suggest that others are not having experienced that, that kind of wicked uh, activity an unarmed black teenager running away and uh, shot like a deer, you know? And so um, those types of things have, have gone on and um, you know, on and on. And there are these waves that just kind of comes and comes. I remember in 2000, when I was at uh, film school, New York Film Academy out at Universal Studios in LA. And we had another rash of age, you know, unarmed, shot and killed. One was like Cincinnati. Well, that was my final film was wrapped around this subject that now is 20 years old. <laughs> and I knew almost 20 years before that was my actual personal encounter with the other story. So, um, so I, I, I would hope that we're moving towards some real progress on, on some of those issues. And again, I don't yeah. want to deviate from, from the, our, our topic of the day, but all of these things. But it's are, the same topic. I mean, yeah. the truth of the matter, when you're looking at environmental racism, you are looking at the belief that there are neighborhoods that are disposable, that there are human beings who are you know, they use the, the phrase sacrifice zone. Environmental injustice is called slow violence. It's not as fast as a bullet. It's just, it does exactly the same thing. You are saying a group of people, a particular area does not have the same value, you know, and that's it. That's, so we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, we definitely are. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Bill Myers Inspires with my guest, Tim Guinea, and we'll be right back in just a minute. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires, 
as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We are back and we are talking about climate change and racism in America with my buddy, Tim Guinea. Now, interesting. I'm going to call this out just a second. He, he, he had a little note he flashed up for me and you probably may have seen that, but he said, let's bring in hope. I want to be very, very clear about that. Um, I believe that hope abounds uh, in us even being able to have this conversation. Um, because I think that that's what we need to do is to be able to have a conversation and to be able to share information. And I think that it's all about common ground. Uh, I have, have no uh, push on what you or you are saying, Tim. I appreciate that. That's information. It's valuable information. Uh, information, lots of it I did not have. Um, and I'm sure some of the stories I just shared with you, you had not had. Uh, but I think that that's where we we can all collectively move forward. Um, and that's why I was asking. So I have not seen, um, you know, a, a large population of sort of people of color as spokespeople for these things. That doesn't mean they're not there. In fact, you informed me and corrected me that they are there. You had uh, mentioned. So how would a person who's concerned about these environmental and, and climate issues, where would they go? I mean, obviously, we have the ability to do a Google search. So how would you advise them to be able to identify that? I think you had named one here in Indiana, but of course, you know, audiences is, is everywhere. Um, so how, how would you advise them to be able to connect those with, with organizations that are on that mission? Yeah. So I would say uh, if you're going to do a Google search, try and be specific to where you are and what concerns you, because there's a lot around this whole thing that can can get people. Um, th that's the first thing. Recognize also, uh, often it's the small community organizations that do the, the extraordinary work. Uh, in my opinion, uh, the last four years, we've seen the full abdication of the federal government from the climate crisis. And miraculously, state governments, county governments, local governments in many places have picked up that work and fixed it. And that's happened 
because local groups of activists on the ground have made it happen and have let politicians know that they have their backs if they do the right thing. So that's the thing, you know, this work can feel overwhelming. I mean, I frequently will use, you know, because poor people around the world are suffering more than anybody and we know it's a problem, we know the science, we have so much of the solutions, we're just not bothering to implement them. I'll use the expression genocide, which is a, uh, that is a, a phrase fraught with, um, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a big word to use. Sure. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, people, you know, get overwhelmed by all of this stuff. My uh, counter, my way of getting past despair is getting active. It's the only way. Because yeah. otherwise, you're just taking this stuff in. Otherwise, you're just letting it happen. And this may not be the issue that connects you. That's cool, whatever it is. But get active in some place in your life. Unless you're of service, you're, in my opinion, you're missing the point of, of being on this fabulous rock in the middle no. of space. Yeah, you just you just hit the nail on the head. There's a there's a fabulous Negro spiritual. Uh, um, Mahalia Jackson was famous for it. And it's called If I Can Help Somebody. If I can help somebody as I travel on, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can uh, tell somebody when they're traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. Mm. That's very powerful. And this thing just goes and goes. But the idea of helping someone is huge. It is so huge. It is the most gratifying thing in my life is when I feel like I'm of service to someone else. It's far more than me taking a bow for myself. Uh, my heart smiles, man, and I feel terrific. And I want to uh, I want to thank you for being here with us today. That this little time just goes, just moves right on. Doesn't it? <laughs> so I just want you to know I reached out to Ralph, Carl, Jonathan, Gilbert. Trini, I, I reached out to the whole crew. So they, hopefully they're listening and we can say hello together. You've been listening to Bill Myers. This is my guest, Tim Guinea. We'll be back here next week. And please take care of yourself and be of service to someone else. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for spending your afternoon right here with us at Bill Myers Inspire. Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word, and we'll see you here next Friday. Have a wonderful week.